Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. everybody it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast today in the studio with me I have a special guest she is a motivator public speaker beauty queen and a friend of mine I'd like to welcome Evelyn Bailey to the podcast hi Evelyn Hi, Shonda. Hi. It's so awesome to be here. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. I'm glad that you can be here. Um, And so, you know, we are recording in the time of quarantine. So Evelyn is joining me uh, via phone, but we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. And Evelyn, I'm going to start by asking you what I ask all of my esteemed guests when they are visiting me on the podcast. And that is, what is your labor of love? Oh, my labor of love. I just, that's such a great question. Um, And as I dig deep to think about it, I think for me is my labor of love is I just want to be inspiration and and encourage and empower people to to be the change that they wish to see. Um, So to motivate them, to inspire them in a way that, you know, reminds them to believe in themselves and that the sky is the limit um, and that anything is truly possible. Okay. And so... Let's talk a little bit about what um, experiences or maybe people in your life you may have had that made this a labor of love. Why is inspiring, motivating, and kind of pushing people to uh, be a version of themselves that they want to see in the world? How how did that become important to you? I think it, it really truly takes me back to my childhood. Um, and as a young girl you know, living in a community that would looked really different from me. Um, I had a mother that pushed me, um, despite struggling with low self-esteem and, you know, cultural constructs of beauty that didn't match in my head. It was a part of me that struggled so much to where, goodness, I want to feel something different. Um, and so it was those points on where I like, you know, took out of my tomboyish phases and, you know, tried to do more stuff to make me feel good about myself, like entering pageants. I did my first pageant when I was 17. Um, and I think it's just having that mother. So going back to the part of your question, she was a person that saw vision and saw change and instilled it in me. And I saw goodness, how much of an impact it had on my life. And I just want to, you know, empower others that, even though it may look a certain way that if we make certain shifts, we can experience change and, and, and really work towards being the best version of ourselves. Awesome. And so it, it's really awesome to hear um, that for you, one of the biggest motivators that you had was someone that you had access to on a regular basis in your mother. Um, I think that's that's uh, fantastic. You know, one of the things I aspire to be is one of my children's role models. 
you know, so they don't have to. And they are obviously welcome to look outside the home and find inspiration, but I don't want them to have to do that in order to find that. So I I, I love that. So you talked about um, your first pageant and things. So tell us a little bit and my listeners just about kind of your pageant um not just experience, but the road you traveled, because I'll be honest, like, I know what comes into my mind when I hear beauty pageant, and it's not you. Um, you know, it's, um, it's something you see on, I can't even tell you what network, but some like ABC, NBC thing, maybe once a year. Um, and I, I don't see in my mind's eye, anyone who looks like me racially, I definitely don't see anyone who looks like my body type um, on that screen. And I see beautiful gowns and yeah, I, you know, and then Miss Congeniality. I I can't lie. I like the movie. Um, So, you know, I have my stereotypes about beauty pageants and I know they come from the images that I've seen on media. And so if you were talking to me and my listeners who may have a similar vantage point, what might you, how, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your experience and how that might help us have a more well-rounded view of the beauty pageant world. Yeah. Um, this is what I'll say. I'll take you, I'll do a little rewind and I'll take you back to the younger Evelyn. So the younger Evelyn was, you know, born in Detroit to two amazing, wonderful parents, Detroit, Michigan. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, my parents, their relationship didn't work out. They got a divorce. And so my mother um, decided to move her daughters to Appalachia, Kentucky. Um, and so if you know anything about culture, Detroit, Michigan and Appalachia, Kentucky are culturally just extremely different. And so for me, <laughs> that, that let's just pause on the understatement of that. Um, right. So being born and raised in Detroit. Um, yeah. And having some experience of traveling, not even through Appalachia, Kentucky, but um, being a little familiar with it. Yeah. Slightly different. So if you all who are listening can't get the stark difference in that, uh, Google can help you out with that, but go ahead. Sorry. No, absolutely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you put pause there because the important component of that is just to the point of what you said, culturally, I looked very different than, you know, my classmates and I was a chubbier girl. I loved my snacks. So I was a chubbier little kid and the constructs of beauty that I saw in my community and the ones that I saw on TV, the way I looked in my community and what was on television was not something that was associated with beautiful. So in the little town where I grew up, one of the biggest kind of, I don't know if we say rite of passage, but everybody wanted to be the honey queen. The honey queen was like the the pageant that you entered and, you know, every girl dreamed of it. I mean, I've always knew about it growing up, but nobody ever looked like me competed in that. Mm -hmm. It was like the image you said, the, you know, smaller, thinner women, you know, for me, it wasn't women of color that I saw. And so I would have never dreamt to venture out there. Fast forward, going back to that, that premise of having a mother who pushed me, right? And she encouraged me and she knew that I struggled with low self-esteem and she just said, do it. 
and I took a leap of faith. And despite not realizing what it was going to do for me, or even thought the assumption of winning, I won. And I was the the most thick girl on stage. I was the only woman of color. I was the first one ever in that pageant system to win the title as a woman of color. And so it was that moment. It gave me a different lens, right, in thinking about pageants and beauty and understanding that, wow, beauty doesn't look just one way and that beauty is something that we exude, that we carry, and that you can be beautiful no matter what color skin you are, no matter the size of your body, your eye color, your hair color, your hair texture. And that was like a pivotal moment for my life in terms of, like I mentioned, understanding who I am and my self-esteem and how I felt about myself. So that's the one thing that I didn't expect pageants to be about um, in terms of lifting my self-esteem and my self-worth. But over the years, that's truly, truly what it's been. And then, you know, competing as an adult. So I was 17 when I was the honey queen. Um, you know, once again, found myself wanting to to inspire change and, and once again, challenge societal constructs of beauty and, you know, enter my first adult pageant, which was the Miss Plus America pageant system, represented the state of Ohio, um, and then went on to win the, the, the national title of Miss Plus America Elite in 2010. And even that experience with other women that were similar to me, um, because that pageant system is you only for their curvier women. So you had to be a, a size 14 and up. Um, and then once again, it was that opportunity to, hey, we're beautiful too, right? And meeting amazing women from all across the country who shared the same vision and idea and journey as me. And so truly something that came out of competing in pageants was learning the sisterhood and the impact of positive self-esteem it had on my life. Thank you for sharing that. So here's a question that I think of when I hear um, that. One, I want to highlight like how awesome it is um, that even though you had not seen um, people who looked like you or that you felt maybe represented various parts of your identity, you then became that for other people. Um, so one random question I have is, would anyone else after you go on to be Miss Honey? Honeybee? Is it honeybee? <laughs> honey queen. Honey queen. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Honey queen, um, who did not go back to kind of the, the, the mold that had been set before you? Have there been any other people of color or um, plus size women who have become, who have done that pageant since or even competed? You know, I'm not quite sure. That's an excellent question. And I would love to find out. But here's what I will say that is really profound for me in that experience is that when I was the honey queen, um, part of my kind of expectations were to go visit the schools and like the elementary schools and like read to them and hang out with them. And so I did that and loved it and enjoyed that, you know, that service part of pageantry because the reality of it is it's not about if you're not willing to put in the work, go buy a crown but if you're willing to put the work compete in a pageant right because that's the platform that you can use to once again inspire change so it's definitely about servant um servant leadership and so i went to the elementary schools and like hung out and then like i mentioned to you fast forward i competed in adult pageants 
and I won and I went back to my community, right? I went back to the honey pageant that same year. And longer story short, the young lady that won that year, the honey, honey pageant, she said, oh my goodness. She was like, when I was in kindergarten, you came to my school mm. and you said to me and you were so beautiful. And ever since then, I always wanted to compete in the honey pageant because of you. So that was like a moment of, wow, even at that age, at 17, when I was still struggling to figure out who I was and what I looked like, a kindergarten saw me and thought, that's beautiful and that's what I want to be. That right there was pretty profound. So I don't know necessarily about the, your initial question of has it, you know, other people of color won, but that moment, that seed right there, it lives with me forever. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, what I can appreciate is, well, I'm just going to speak demographically there's probably a lesser chance that they did because there are not a lot of people of color who live in Appalachia, Kentucky. Um, so just to, statistically speaking, um, it's probably a less likelihood. But I think for me, what sticks out is um, as a person of color, as a person who holds whatever identity. So at this point, I don't just want to make it about race or um, body size, but whatever identity we hold, um, especially for those who come from marginalized identities. When we step forward into um, a public space and use a platform to inspire change, like you said, sometimes I think the thought is we want to inspire other people who share our identities. We want other people of color to know you can do this. We want plus size women to know that you can be in a pageant. But for me, what it means is, I love that people who also don't look like us can be inspired by us as well. And so I'm I'm guessing from your story that the young lady who won in 2010 when you came back um, was someone who looked probably like a lot of people who would compete in the pageants, um, someone traditionally from Appalachia, Kentucky. But what I heard in your story is that... Um, as a five or six year old in kindergarten, she saw you and saw beauty, not because you looked like her, but because she saw beauty. And for me, I think that is tremendously important as well. Um, and while it seems random, <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, this idea of baby dolls. Um, so growing up, my sister talks about a lot. I have a sister, she's 14 years older than me. And I know she talks a lot about when I was a child, she always wanted for me to have um, black baby dolls. Um, and, you know, I don't know that that was on my parents' radar or whatever. So for her, that was a big deal. Like she wanted me to have black baby dolls. Um, and so I've always thought about that when that came up, that how awesome it is for a little girl to have, you know, a baby doll that looks like her, and that maybe um, can make her feel more normal. But what I love to see is I love to see non-black little girls playing with black baby dolls, right? So it's it's not just that it's inspiration for a person that looks like what this thing represents, but that it inspires people across the board um, to realize that beauty comes in different shapes and forms. So that's what I love about that story. And I appreciate that. Awesome. I mean, you, that's a really just amazing point because 
I would have that day when I did it, I would have never thought as an African-American young teenage girl going to like you, you pointed out predominantly white, you know, school that that little girl would have ever thought I was beautiful. Like, I don't even, I don't even think that that would even cross her mind. And then to just fast forward, cross paths years later to hear that was just, it goes back to that point of wow pageants are so much more and can expose you to so much more and it, there's so much more profound and impact that you can do and connect in terms of you know expi- inspiring that change and and what that all means individually absolutely so another question i have as i <clears throat> listen to your story excuse me is there is this separate pageant right so there's the separate pageant where um plus size women, curvier women, fat women. There are tons of whatever adjective a person chooses to use for their body type, but a non-traditional, non-Eurocentric beauty pageant. And while that is awesome, talk a little bit about the fact that there are still very mainstream pageants that have not deviated from this kind of traditional um, or not as much. Um, again, I can't even pretend that I watch a lot of pageants. So there could be a lot of uh, change that has happened, but that's maybe what I'm asking. Have you noticed um, a shift, even if it feels gradual, um, in mainstream pageantry? I know within the last couple of years, I did kind of notice on the internet that people were highlighting that Miss Teen USA, Miss USA, and Miss something else, they were all dark complected, you know, um, maybe African descended, um, women. And that was this really big deal. So what have you noticed over the time that you've been competing and interested in pageants that may be a shift that's happening toward or away from kind of this traditional Eurocentric view of beauty? I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, we'll take the baby steps that we can. Um, to your point, I think there are some slow, gradual changes. Um, for example, what you just said, I think that was kind of the big unique part um, in the pageant system where three you know, people of color, of African-American, potentially descent, all hold, held the title at the same time. And I think what that did for a lot of people is even though there may not be internally changes that those mainstream pageants have done it's also made little girls look up and say wow I could do that one day it's it's the Eurocentric lens is not the only construct of beauty that little girls right now are seeing or the fact that in addition to those after those women who competed they all I believe natural hair and so knowing that wow my curls are beautiful too and it doesn't have to be you know a straight kind of look that's associated with beauty so I think those things go further than we may think even though internally there those systems you know may still be kind of pitching their system a certain way um I think the biggest thing for me in competing with you know the plus size pageants that I have been a part of is that it continues to say here we are right it continues to challenge and identify what beauty looks like I mean for example I believe I mean I'm not sure the statistic I, I think it's so current but the average size woman is a size 14 so if we're having quote unquote to your point these mainstream pageants 
are the average women in those pageants size 14? I don't know, but I'm just going to guess maybe not so much. Um, I know. The answer is no. (laughs) I don't even have to watch him to know that, but okay. (laughs) So realistically, it's not to say that that's not beautiful, but it's more to say this is beautiful too, right? Mm -hmm. And just kind of really creating that platform and that kind of equality piece across the board. So as a woman, regardless of your shape, size, you can identify with beauty and feel absolutely beautiful too. Um, and I think I would say the last point that I think I shifted, I want to say it's the Miss America pageant. Don't hold me to it. Cause I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think a lot of, and there may just be a lot of those mainstream pageants that are switching away from doing the swimsuit competition. Um, so that goes kind of the piece of like women's bodies and like maybe being more modest and some of those systems. So that's a change that I think I've definitely seen over time um, in the pageant world. Yeah. Thank you. So it reminds me a lot of my, um, my own personal journey toward unconditional acceptance and love for myself, which when I look back over kind of the totality of my life, I think there are a lot of things that have shifted since the 80s one is access to apparel and clothing for uh, plus-size women um, who are not grandmothers Uh, so growing up it's like I remember being a teenager uh, early teens even and not having access to clothing that was appealing to me as an adolescent Um, that I could fit and that I could afford. And so, you know, Lane Bryan has existed probably since before I was born. But literally, I have this vision of Northland Mall in, well, outside of Detroit, so technically Southfield. And it was a two-story it had two levels and you could go downstairs and that's when they had like sleepwear which don't get me wrong was furthest thing from lingerie you've ever seen um these like muumuu dresses right and upstairs but like that was it and so being that I was a bigger girl um my mother shopped at Lane Bryant which was developmentally and age appropriate for her not for me but there were so many limits to just me feeling comfortable forget my skin in my clothes so I frequently I can look back at pic I dress like an old woman because that was what was available in the size that I was so one there has been a shift in accessibility to comfortable and trendy clothing that are age appropriate maybe across the the lifespan um of a plus size woman and then there there was like no representation. And if there were if there was representation, it was very stereotyped. Um and so I just remember specifically looking for my prom dress and saying to multiple people, I refuse to wear floral prints. And going through a department store and I would always say like, do you know how to spot the quote unquote women's section 
right, of the store. And I say you have to look for elastic waist and floral prints. When you find elastic waist and floral prints, you found the women's section or the plus size section. And I'm like, it's just a little more fabric. So I know there was a lot of, you know, frustration um, growing up with just that. But again, the lack of representation really caused me to think that if I wanted to be beautiful, if I wanted to be successful, if I wanted to do these things, this this is what it looks like. And it it wasn't so formulaic that it like it had to look like this. All I knew is it didn't look like me. And that's one thing I, I think I want people to understand. Whatever identity you're thinking about for yourself, when there is lack of representation of that particular identity, it's 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 kind of like you're learning repeatedly through various um, messages that that's not where I belong. I don't I don't belong there. And so I can appreciate, you know, a pageant that can highlight for people of different shades and tones and hair textures and body types that, you know, there there is enough room and space for all of us. Um, and one thing that I'm acutely aware of when I stand in front of groups of people, no matter what size, um, and that I am myself is that I represent a lot of identities for people, whether it's my natural hair, whether it's my body size, whether it's my race, um, whether it is the socioeconomic status that I've come from. Part of my transparency is because there isn't a lot of representation, but in order for that to be true, I had to realize that before I embraced my size, I was just a big girl trying to be small. Like, and, you know, I I had at one point, you know, hair that I wanted to be a different way. And I, I, I spent so much time being who I was. So people saw who I was, but what they didn't understand is that inside I was trying to be something else. And it just didn't work, right? It, it 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 didn't work. So at a certain point through many different um, experiences, I just had to come to grips with this is who I am. But the beautiful part, I think, about one of the pivotal parts of my transition of just kind of unconditional acceptance is that um, I didn't want, I never wanted people to look at me and see my beauty in spite of what they saw on the outside. I wanted people to look at me and notice the beauty that that is and internally. So I can just appreciate and I'm I'm saying all that because I almost can guarantee that there are listeners who want to be beautiful, want to feel beautiful. And sometimes that beautiful feeling isn't because someone else thinks you're beautiful. There are a lot of people who aren't waiting on someone else to validate their beauty. I get that. But they don't feel it themselves because of the same messages that other people have gotten. And so part of it is, one, keep keep holding out, um, keep working. But this was probably the most important discovery in my journey. It's when I realized that I was the only one who didn't know what I looked like. Everybody else sees me. Everybody sees this body. I stand in front of very large groups of people. And I talk and I will see, I would see a picture of myself 
And then I would be like, oh God, you know, tripping over this picture. Oh, finding flaws. But then I realized that I just stood in front of 500 people for two hours and all 500 of them knew what I looked like. I was the only one who seemed not to and who was disappointed by what I saw, yet everyone else was looking at me and still appreciated the wisdom, the knowledge, everything that I brought. And it became this moment of like, girl, hey, you tripping. You know, you the only one who don't know what you look like. Everybody else knows what you look like and everyone else still loves you for what you contribute. So I want to offer that, you know, um, I thought this was just a good time to kind of offer that to people who might be struggling. There are people who see you just as you are and they love you just as you are. And sometimes we're late to the party. Um, So, yeah. Did you want to say something about that, Evelyn? No, I just, goodness, you just said so many amazing things and there's so much to what you just said that I could truly connect to, you know, going back to thinking about the shift of clothes and what that looked like, you know, for me, it wasn't that I dressed, you know, older, like my, maybe my mother, I was a tomboy. So it was easier for me to like, let me cover it all up. Right. Cause to your point, I just wanted to be the skinny person. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about oh, I'm curvy and that's okay and I can celebrate her. Oh, my hair is, you know, has the Afrocentric look and I don't have to get a relaxer in it. And, you know, now as an adult, it's like, I love my curves, right? And, you know, I wear my hair curly. I don't, can't even remember the last time I put a relaxer in my hair, right? And that becomes because I've gotten more comfortable and this is how I look and, I think I'm okay, and that's all that matters because other people's opinions are theirs and they're entitled to it, but do I allow that to impact me, to push me, to shape me, to divine me? I refuse to live based on somebody else's narrative. Um, and so that I you know, also encourage and empower your listeners to, to look at it through that lens. And um, another interesting story is that, so in elementary school, I hope he doesn't listen to this, but I hope he does. I had the biggest crush. I'm not going to say his name, um, but <laughs> after I decided to compete in this next pageant, so I'm going to be competed in the Miss Plus World pageant 2020, um, my old hometown in, in Appalachia, Kentucky, they featured a story, an article, and it made the front page. Um, and the guy that I had a crush on when I was like little, he was like, oh my goodness, he connected with me on Facebook and he was like, I, you're famous here. And like, I saw you on the front page and you're doing so many great things, you know, in the world, keep it up your inspiration. And I was like, wow, I would have never thought in a million years that he would ever see me mm-hmm. because as a little girl, as a little African-American chubby girl. I wasn't anything that was normal to him. So that was really cool to see. Or going back to your point of like people seeing you, another person had reached out to me, you know, because, you know, social media makes our world very small. And she told me, she used to do my hair when I was a little girl. And she told me, wow, you're still beautiful. I literally stopped in my like breath in that moment because the key word was still because then when she was doing my I didn't beauty wasn't something I was associating myself with. So to your point of knowing people see you and and learning to when am I going to catch up like I'm working to continuously catch up on how I see myself or ultimately from a spiritual perspective, how does God see me because that 
is the perception, the viewpoint, the opinion that I care about truly the most. Absolutely. And I thank you. I love that story. Um, Just thinking about the role that we as people who are in the lives of young people have and um, how sometimes our words of affirmation can mean so much to them. And, you know, I'll go back interestingly to a story about my sister again we're 14 years apart and we uh we didn't grow up together so we pretty much both grew up like only children and we have only become close in my later adult years but I just remember um being in high school and a friend of hers met me and she's like oh my god you're Shonda I hear so much about you da 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 she's going on and on and on the thing is my sister never actually said those things to me herself So I spent a lot of my younger years, you know, what I don't know that I thought about it as much, but definitely didn't feel like we had a connection or that she even noticed me. And what I realized is that wasn't true. She just never told me how many young people are in our lives. And we we think so highly of them and we think they're amazing and we think they're so bright and beautiful and all these things, but we don't actually say it to them. And we are thinking in our interactions with them that it's obvious. Oh, of course they know that I am. Of course they know that I think this about them. No, Uh, if you haven't told them, obviously showing is important, but tell them and show them so that they know. So that 10, 15 years later, you're not telling them you're still beautiful and them going, wait, you know, and while your path is great, how different maybe in a good way would it have been if this person had told you 15 years ago you're beautiful while she was doing your hair absolutely and you know it 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 truly can shift the trajectory of how you see yourself in, in terms of growing up I mean you bring up interesting points my mom told me I was beautiful all the time but for me, it was, oh, she's my mom. She's my like, mom. Say that, <laughs> like, whatever. And, like, you know, even to this day, we can laugh about it. But I appreciated her pouring that into me. And that, wow, you know, wow, my mom, my mom had, was, you know what I'm saying? My mom was pushing me to ultimately, she could believe it. But if I didn't, it didn't matter. Or, like, the reverse of it, you know, of having a father that the first time I remember him Telling me I was beautiful, I was 30. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but that wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, but that made a difference because, well, my mom said it, but my dad didn't, right? And so that pushes me, once again, going to the power of words in terms of, you know, the platform now um, is, is really challenging societal ills that impact our children and our youth, right? And how we can, as adults, work to build environments that are connected and inclusive and supportive um, and, you know, teach, teach young people, you know, so that we can transform that lens if it's negative, you know, how can we make sure we create environments um, that children don't have to grow up from having been traumatized, right? Cause we have the power to do that. Um, and it all takes us just being willing to act and once again, be that change and pushing them and empowering them um, to believe in themselves. Absolutely. You know, I, I have kind of this dual perspective of teaching and helping people in general, but young people see their beauty. One is something that, you know, I've come to realize is I don't think while I was growing up, I had anyone in my life who explicitly, like I can go back and people would make claims that they always believe this. And that might be true, but I did not get any explicit 
content and messages that my that beauty had anything to do with anything internal, right? My my humor, um, my ability to connect with people, um, just these kind of internalized values that are truly beautiful that I can recognize now. I didn't. No one connected that to beauty. So that's one thing. How do we go beneath the skin and help people to understand that there are characteristics that they have about who they are that make them beautiful human beings that attract other people to their their kindness, their compassion, their wit, their humor, all of those different things, right? Um, so that's one thing. Also, you know, understanding that a lot of the quote unquote personality attributes we see in people are actually survival adaptations. And so when we are looking at them and see things that are what we would consider less than beautiful, oftentimes it's what they've had to adapt to in order to survive their family systems in their childhood. So that's one thing. But the other thing is beauty was, because it wasn't attached to anything internal, it was all external. And because there were so many things that I needed to change in order to meet this one view, I always felt that people had to look past my external to find my beauty. So then there became this emphasis of, well, what I look like doesn't matter. I need someone who's going to see my heart and I need someone who's going to do this. And, and all that is BS too, right? No. How do we help shift the narrative that, yes, beauty is internal and is external and it doesn't matter what hue of skin you have, your eyes don't have to be this certain color. Um, it, it's like, this is all beautiful. And what I can acknowledge as at a lot of people I grew up around, they couldn't give it to me because they didn't have it. They didn't believe it for themselves. So I don't fault them for not helping me understand it. They didn't believe it for themselves. So it is a moment of how do we get to this point of learning to accept ourselves because that will fuel our ability to accept other people. And, and then kind of lastly on this, it reminds me of when my now husband and I were dating. Um, I remember when he told me his uh, his favorite physical features of mine and I was ready for it, right? Because, you know, I knew where I put all the effort and I was looking for that effort to be recognized. And this cat said, your eyes. And I was like, my eyes. And I was genuinely like, you have beautiful eyes. And I was like, what does that mean? Because my narrative growing, literally, I didn't believe him, I guess, because my eyes are dark brown and they are the same kind of dark brown as I, my perspective, you know, 99% of other African-American women, but there are certain people who have the light eye, the hazel eyes, the green eyes, the light brown eyes where the sun, you know, glitters off of them. And I thought the only way you can have beautiful eyes is if they were different, but no, that wasn't the case. And it was my eyes and my shoulders, the most random thing, shoulders. What? He loves you. Yeah. And, 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 and I will be honest that it was in that relationship and during that time that my shift towards unconditional acceptance happened. I think we have a really bad habit of telling people across the board, but especially young women, 
You just need to love yourself more. Don't worry about what nobody else said. You just need to love yourself more. What people fail to understand is how a person loves themselves is how they were taught to love themselves. We cannot love ourselves beyond the capacity that someone shows us and teaches us. And when we are able to make that shift, it's because someone has done something or provided a lens. They've put a book in our mental library that we can now draw from. And so if a person has grown up in an environment where they have not been unconditionally accepted, they have not been unconditionally loved, everything came with conditions and it needed to be a certain way. That is how a person, that's the template. I talk about templates all the time. That is the template through which a person learns to value, esteem, and love themselves. And so sometimes it's not about telling people you need to love yourself more. No, we need to love them more unconditionally so they know what that looks like, what it feels like. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you just said right there, it it goes to, we even go further, we even having a responsibility as adults, right, to really push past all of that for our young people in terms of what beauty looks like and feels like in terms of I could be, I could be a beauty queen and all this stuff and a model, but if I am leaving people feeling nasty and you know, depressed and unworthy and unvaluable, then I'm not beautiful at all, right? Where can we work, you know, just like I said, as a responsibility to push so that, you know, young people know that it's also about those experiences that you leave other people. It's about the kindness, right? It's about how you're treating people that make you beautiful. You know, I always remember saying like, oh, well, she she's pretty, but she got a bad attitude. You know what I'm saying? So we associate, well, just because you're pretty on the inside, I mean, on the outside, if you're not beautiful and not allowing beautiful experiences on the inside and how you treat people and the way you connect, then what is it all for? You just have a, a nice shell, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how can we empower? And like I said, I think it's just even more of a responsibility to our next generation because this is, you know, our, our young people they're next up, right? And it's a society that, you know, if they grow up without having those environments that are pushing them to believe in them, where, where, where are we headed as a, as a country? Where are we headed as a world? Um, and so it all starts, we can do our part by acting and, and really influence and impacting, you know, young people to believe, you know, not only in themselves and not only to know, okay, having the confidence, but treating people right and, and knowing that like being beautiful doesn't just stop on the outside so stop trying to chase a size or a look um but how can you act in ways as a young person to make a person feel good and do kind loving supportive gestures that can make a lasting a lasting impact Um, on someone's life absolutely so just tell us a little bit about how you use your platform um through the various pageants and other work that you do to kind of do the work that you're talking about if someone is listening and saying okay like i buy it that sounds like a really good idea how how do i do that what practical things do you have for listeners that they can do that for the upcoming generation Absolutely. I mean, for me currently, you know, my platform is is really empowering people to be the change they want to see. And and for me, if, if we can work to really, you know, 
align ourselves with missions or ideas that are important to us and create environments that are connected and inclusive, then I think we can truly work to teach and transform. And so, you know, my platform, you know, personally right now as Miss Plus World America 2020 is really not only you know, my focus is youth. And so I connect myself with organizations that are very youth focused um, by volunteering or, you know, the work that I'm doing, it just is all truly in alignment. But if there's someone who's listening now and it's like, okay, how can I, I want to be the change, right? That's kind of my quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. And that starts with, like I mentioned, acting. And so act means a if somebody, if there's a cause that they care about. So for me, it may be children, but for another person, there's so many societal things that need addressing from climate change to the healthcare system, you know, the this virus that's happening across our world is exposing so much, right? And so just empowering people, think about those causes that they truly care about or they would like to see some difference and align themselves with it. Um, and, and working to create an environment that's connected. So that could be volunteering, right? If, if that's an opportunity for them, they an individual truly has the power to play that role. Um, and then our teaching and transforming. So those are kind of what ACT stands for. Because if we're all simultaneously acting in positive ways that positively impact the character, health, attitude, um, narrative of and growth of future of their future generations or anybody at all, we'll see significant changes. But it's all just starts with one identifying what that may be for you know a, a, one of your listeners or you know any individual, and then taking the initiative and trusting the journey and leaping and 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 trusting that the outcome is going to be abundantly above they ever anticipated. Awesome. No, I think that's very helpful um, for listeners. I would like to add one more thing that I think could be helpful for people is I definitely think people, um, especially if you find your, if, if your predominant identities are part of the dominant narrative, then I think it is very important that you take some time to look at educating yourself on the role of oppression and everything that we're talking about. So it can be so easy to kind of listen to this uh, episode and think about self-esteem um, and beauty and people loving themselves more. And while that is important, if we don't truly take the time to understand the role of racism and other oppressions into the systemic formulation of this issue, then we're going to walk around trying to change individual children when we need to be changing the systems that perpetuate the very oppression that keeps this going. And so that is, that is utmost important. Yes, we need to speak into the lives of our young people, um, male, female, non-binary, period, right? It's not just a woman issue or a little girl issue. I used to think that self-esteem issues were a, a girl-specific issue until I had a son, right? Until I realized that's not the case. And so, fine. But if we don't start addressing the systems that perpetuate the ideas of beauty, um, the ideas of what is right, the, the systems control the narrative to a degree, and so what, what I love Evelyn said earlier is she refuses to live by that narrative. 
And so how do we start to rewrite the narrative? You know, I made a statement a little while ago with something completely different, but I said, you know, my ancestors have been written out of more narratives than can be counted and their roles discounted in what they had. And so now understanding that that's how the system works, I, I've come face to face with how I have to be very intentional to make sure that my narrative isn't diminished and isn't minimized and isn't written out of a lot of things. And so I have to say that because without it, we lose sight of the big picture. And when we lose sight of the big picture, it just leaves a little too much room for me for blame and shame. Well, if they were just this, well, why don't you just love yourself as you are? Says the person who's the dominant narrative has always told you you're beautiful, right? And so it's not about blame and shaming those people who benefit and are privileged by the dominant narrative, but it is having this very open, honest, real conversation about there is bigger things at stake. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there and say how important that is as well. I agree. You bring up a really valid point, and I think you know, and, and full, you know, if I can be transparent and real with you for a second, as much as you know, people say, I, I realize I'm a pretty photogenic person. If I'm gonna be honest, like I take pretty good pictures, and so people will say, "Oh my gosh, you're like you're so pretty and so beautiful." And so to your point, it might be easier. Well, it's easy for her to say that. But you know what's the most impactful, empowering thing about this? I don't compete in pageants or model or do those things because I want to be famous. I want to change that narrative. That is what this is about. It's more about, I'm not searching fame. I want to be impactful, right? And I want to shift the lens of what we define as beautiful. And that is truly what it's been about for me. The stories and the compliments that I love the most, it's not, oh my gosh, that picture was so cute and hot. It was you inspire me. Thank you for the things that you're doing because it's making a difference in my life and what you say or, or what you share, or maybe what you post is pushing me to want to be a better person. And at the end of the day, LaShonda, that is what it's truly about for me. And so I'm just thankful to God for the, for the journey um, and the impact that I, I can make and, and just want to empower your listeners that there's something still in them that the world still needs. And I inspire, I encourage them and empower them to dig deep and find what that is because we have, we still, we still have time, but time is ticking. And it, you know, this, what's going on in our world right now is a great opportunity to, to search and seek that because there's beautiful pieces within them that, I can't wait to hear and see about it and to see how it's going to impact our country. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we start to to wrap up, I think, you know, that is key. I see a lot of kind of memes and discussion and it's framed in humor. But now that like stay at home orders and things being completely shut down in some states means that the regular routines that people upheld in order to maintain beauty, they can't anymore. So the hairdresser, the barber, the nail tech, the the wax ologist, <laughs> whatever they're called, the people who, who do the waxing and all of this stuff without access to it. You know, people are, oh, I'm going to be rough. Like, oh, it's going to be this and I, that. But the thing is, can you actually, this would be a really great time for people to remember what they are underneath all of that and still see it as beauty. 
you know, a step is, I look, I know how to get the good angles with the best of them. And I have been prone to be the person like, "Mm -mm, take that over. Let me turn this way. Let me do this. Right. But what happens when we just know, when we just are aware that a picture is just a reflection of what's there. And when we can look at that and see that that too is beautiful, um, we just become more whole, healthy people because the for real, for real thing is what so many of us have grown up chasing is not real. When you photoshopping Beyonce, like it ain't real. That's all I'm saying. You know, you know, she, for so many people represents quintessential beauty and to know that there are people who are photoshopping her as well. Like, it's just a whole different level for me when it's like, even, you you know, the most who, well, this was a lot of debate too, but like the, what is it? People's or time, somebody's beautiful man or whatever, <laughs> whoever it is, there were adaptations to that picture before it made it to that magazine cover. So it is an ever elusive, very, very, very expensive uh, industry that tells you you're not beautiful because as long as you're not beautiful, you will pay to be beautiful, pay with time, resources, money, stress, all of that stuff. And so I loved um, being able to talk to you just kind of about sw- changing the narrative. But in order to change the narrative, you had to step into the, the dominant narrative in order to change it. And so, and then create your own. So I appreciate that. So in wrapping up, I always like for my guests to share maybe a little known or fun fact about themselves that helps us just get a more holistic picture of who they are as a person. I would probably say that a little fun fact about me. So it it kind of hear it in my story. I grew up as, um, you know, a tomboy. And so I am obsessed with sports. Like I love basketball. And so it's kind of like contradictory in a way of, wow, you're a beauty queen and you like play sports. I love sports. So it's funny. One day my, my cousin asked me, when did you change in your trade in your sneakers for heels? Right. <laughs> um, so I think that's lots of times people, I love sharing that because I'm tall and, and sports was something that also I would say helped shape my confidence as well. So that probably will be it. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. And finally, how could someone find you? If they want more in, uh, more information about Miss Plus Pageants or just you as a person, um, where can people find you? Absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Facebook, Evelyn E. Bailey, um, as well as you can follow my current pageant journey on Facebook, which is Miss Plus World America 2020. Um, I look forward to those connections. Or if you're on Instagram, you can find me at lady with an IE underscore Eve on Instagram. Awesome. So we will make sure that all that information makes it to the show notes. Evelyn, thank you so much for being my guest today and for talking with me, um, giving this awesome content for my guest. For all of my listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. Don't forget, if you want more information about me or Labors of Love, you can find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget, we have our YouTube channel, The Labors of Love Counseling 
Journey Consulting page where every week we do a Therapy Thursday video. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. Tell your friends um, if you were moved by uh, the content. Let them know it's out here. Um, until we connect again, be well.